Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. You guys have been sending in questions, and we try to kind of group them together and hit the most popular questions, and, and I, I love it because you never know where it's going to go, and some of them, you're like, okay, they're just trying to play like Stump the Chump here. Like, what is this? But it really, really is fun. But we're going we're gonna to wrap that up today, and then tomorrow, not tomorrow, next Sunday, don't come back tomorrow, it'll be full of middle school. Middle school kids, so yeah. Anyways, don't go back tomorrow. But next week, we're going to start a brand new series, Relationship Goals. And we're going to talk about marriage and relationships. So who is that for? That's for anybody who is married, um, somebody who says someday I might get married, uh, somebody who wants to get married. And if you're like, I never want to get married, come to this. Like, Still, it's for you for sure, for sure. Like, Definitely come. It's going to be great. And we're going to be hitting that through the month of February. So be here for that. But answering your questions, we're going to jump in on that. But one thing I do want to mention is next week we start a new month. And every time we start a new month, a new session of our growth track starts. And what, what, what is that? The number one thing we want to see for every single person is the number one need that anybody has is what? It's Jesus. Like, you need Jesus more than you need anything else. But after that, it's what's next? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Right? So what we do is we do a class every month. It's a four-week class that happens after the second song in worship, that you're dismissed. And if you want to join that, you don't have to sign up. You can just head out. And it's four weeks. And we take a week to help you to know God, to find freedom from your past, discover your gifts and talents, and then what you can do to make a difference. Because you are not just waiting to die. God wants to use you today. You have gifts and talents. Use them to build the kingdom of God. It's fun to do the things we're good at. But when you take those things and you leverage them for the kingdom of God, it is a whole nother level of peace and joy in your life. I want all of you to experience that. So if you've not been through Growth Track, that starts next week. So come right in here. If you're in here, it's for you. What age is it? It's your age. If you're in here, that's you. So during the second, right after the second song, Xavier's going to say, Growth Track dismissed, and you'll just walk right out here and then head down this hallway, and there's a room right back here, and you're going to have a great time. All right. With that, we get to jump right into a bunch of these questions. Okay. The next one that we had, question that came in, is this, is how do you explain the Trinity? Where, where, where does this come from? Well, really, it's because we, it's what we see in Scripture. When, they, when somebody says the Trinity, what is that? They're talking about the fact that something that we see in Scripture is we see God the Father, we see God the Son, Jesus, and we see God the Holy Spirit in verses like this, Matthew 24, 49. Jesus is talking, and he says this, and I will send the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, that's one. He says, I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. So God is three in one Trinity. That's why we say the Trinity. Now, now how exactly does that work and what? I don't know. God is three he expresses himself to us in three. And that's why we say there is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's there because we see it in Scripture. Next question. 
David and Jonathan's relationship. What was up with that? And very specifically, why does he say his love for him is deeper than that of a love for a woman? So 2 Samuel says this in verse 1, chapter 26. I grieve for you, David is talking. He says, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were more dear to me. Your love was for me as wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. Now, that sounds a little weird to me. Maybe not to you. Maybe you guys get together with your guy friends all the time and say things like, your love is more dear than the love of a woman. I don't say that to Jason. I, I, I don't. He's never said that to me. Thank goodness. Like, like no, that's, that's not common. Okay, that's not, that's not normal for me. That's not normal for you at all. Now, we don't really have a box to put that in, like a comment like that. We're like, that's just, why would you say that? We, we don't have a place to put it. Now, there's other things that you do. Like, for instance, if I was to ask you, um, what's, what's that, 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 uh, that time of year, or really, what, what's that holiday where we tell kids that it's okay to run around to their neighbor's house and ask for candy, and, and we dress them up in costumes? What's that holiday? What is it? Halloween. See, you have an idea. I don't have to tell you it's in October. I don't have to, is it October? Yeah, there we go. Oh. I don't have to tell you all that stuff, which is really good because I don't even know what month it's in. Because you have a framework, you have something that that belongs in, that when I say, you know, go around and start asking for candy, you know what it is. Well, we don't have a framework for, for guys telling another guy that they love them more than the love of a woman. It, we don't know where to put it. So how do we and what do we do with something like that? Well, if we want to know what it really is, any time that a verse, that one particular verse is like raising questions or we're really wanting to know what it is, we need to go back to the original language. We need to go back to the original language. And now this is not like Bible scholar stuff. The minute I say that, don't be like, original Greek, it's all Hebrew to me. Like, no. Hold on. Anybody can do this. It's really not that difficult with the tools that are so easily available. If you have a phone that connects to the internet, you can do it. It's that easy. A really easy tool to use is something called Bible Hub, and it's simply Bible, H-U-B, BibleHub.com. And it is great. And you can go in there, you can enter a verse, and it'll give you multiple translations, parallel translations, and paraphrases that might help you to see it. But then you can also hit this little button, it'll say Greek or Hebrew, and it'll break out that verse and tell you what each word, the root word for each one of these comes from, and where it comes from. But if you're going to create a doctrine or you really want to understand a specific verse better, that's what you need to do is we go back to the original language. So what we do is I can zip over to Bible Hub, I can put this in there, and I can click on it. What's going to tell me about this, this Greek word love here is it just says this. It says love. It says it's a noun, and it's pronounced ahabawa. All right, ahabawa. There it is. That's love. But then there's really not that many places in the Bible that is translated that way, that this word is used. Like, for instance, if we go to Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here we have the same word love, 
But if I look at what this word is, this love is a different love. In the Greek, this word is agape, love. It's different. And the definition of this one is to love, to wish well, to take pleasure in, or to long for. So when, when you read through and you hear David talk about Jonathan this way, you might not have a box to put it in. But David is simply saying that this was an amazing relationship. You might say, he's my absolute best friend, BFF. But what some people have done is they look at this and they're like, well, was this, was this a homosexual relationship? And the answer is no. The answer is no. The, the, the word love that's used here is different than the love that a man has for his wife or a, a wife or her husband. It is a different. It is a different love, but it was a very special relationship. But any time that we, we come across a verse we want to go to the original language. And the other thing that we're going to look at is we're going to look at the first time something was mentioned. So those are two just very basic, very important things. The first time that something's mentioned in the Bible is going to help you to understand everything else about it. For instance, marriage. The first time we see marriage in the Bible, it's Adam and Eve. It's in the garden. And God brings Adam a woman. And he says, okay, be fruitful and multiply. And he brings only one woman. If there was ever a time and a cause to bring more than one and be like, hey, here's a harem, populate away, that would have been it. But God did not do it. He brought one. And he said the two become one. There's so much that we see the first time that something is mentioned. All right, next question. In every Q&A that I've ever done, something, there's lots of questions like these that come in, and it's this. What about dinosaurs? What happened to dinosaurs? Are they in the Bible? Like, like, what happened? All right. Well, here's what I believe and why. And let me just say this. If you want to disagree with me on this, that's okay. Like, go right ahead and disagree. Send, send emails. I'll forward them to Jason. But, like, <laughs> if, if you disagree, I understand. I'm going to give you the what and the why, I believe, because of what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 1. We see God created the heavens and the earth. God made it all. And on the sixth day, the Bible says that he made all the living creatures, including man. So what did he make on the sixth day? Dinosaurs. Yes, absolutely, because he made it all. It says in Genesis 1.25, God made wild animals according to their kind, livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind. So yeah, I believe he made dinosaurs. Do we see dinosaurs in the Bible? Well, in Job, which is believed to be the first book of the Bible ever written, I mean, you, you know that, that Genesis, although it speaks to the beginning of the world, was not the first book written. Job would have been what we believe to be the first book of the Bible that was written. And Job says this, in Job 40, verse 15, he says, look at the behemoth. Again, you can go to the Greek on that, and it's like, it's an unknown animal species. And he talks about it, and he says, its tail was like that of a cedar. He says, nobody, who, who could catch it? Who could tame it? Who could put a ring in its nose and lead it around? He says, no one. I believe it's talking about a dinosaur. He also talks about the Leviathan. And he says, who could, who could catch it? Who, what fisherman could bring it up on its hook? No one. And again, you go to the Greek, and you're like, okay, what is it talking about here? And it's like a sea snake, a, a, a dragon, 
Like, like what, what is it? I believe it's talking about a dinosaur. But if we had dinosaurs, then where are they? Like, like, like where are they? Well, let me tell you, here's why I believe. And again, you can disagree with me on this. That's okay. You just need to know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you need him. And if you disagree, that's okay. But here's what I believe about what happened to the dinosaurs. Pre-flood, the world was different. I mean, we, even, we even got into that a little bit last week. The world was different. Genesis 1.29 says that after the flood, God says, okay, as I've given you all of the plants, now I give you the meat. He says, the fear and dread of animals will now come on you. Everything, every creature, every man, everything was a vegetarian until then. So did, did dinosaurs walk with people? Absolutely. I, maybe some Flintstone moves sliding down the tail. I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're not, they're not biting you. They're not trying to eat you. Did I think the T-Rex and the tiny arms were probably mocked back then? Absolutely. Absolutely, especially if he doesn't chase you and eat you. But anyways, so then what do we see happen? Well, in Genesis 2, verse 5, it says this, And no shrub, no field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. When Noah got out of the ark, God said, I'm going to give you a sign of my promise to never flood the earth again. He says, and a sign of that promise will be the rainbow. There had never been a rainbow because it had never rained before the flood. There was no rain. The earth was incredibly different before the flood. There had never been any rain. Streams watered the earth before the flood, the shrubs and the things, even many of the plants that we have now, the Bible says they were not there yet. It was not like that. So what else do we know about how different it was before the flood? Well, before the flood, we look at people like Adam. Adam lived 930 years. Enos, 912. Canaan, 905. Enoch, 365. Adam, Seth, Jared, Enoch. We've got people living the average age of those that we know of, that we're given, before the flood, you want to know how long they lived? About 830 plus years. Something was different before the flood. So what changed? Because as soon as the flood happens, you see man's lifespan just going. Now you hit 100 and holy cow. I say, I'm going to live to be 120. If Jesus doesn't come back, I like that number. I don't know why. It sounds great to me. In fact, like, I don't want to live that long. I'm like, you're not leaving me too bad. Like, you're sticking with me. Like, come on. So what was different? And why did we lose dinosaurs? Did God just decide they shouldn't be on the ark? Well, the Bible says that God caused the creatures to come to Noah and that Noah did what God said, which is put two of every kind on the ark. So do I believe dinosaurs are on the ark? Absolutely. How did they fit on the ark? Take a baby. They take so much less space. He didn't have to put them in car seats and stuff. Like there was so much space. Just take a baby. Yeah, I believe that they were on the ark. But then what would have changed? And here's what I believe changed. Genesis chapter 1 talks about the original creation of the earth. And it says this, And God said, Let there be an expanse between waters and separate water from water. 
Most of us, when we hear separate water from water, we think land. But keep reading. Verse 7, so God made an expanse to separate the water under the expanse from the water above it. And so was, so, and it was so. Verse 8, God called the expanse sky. So he separated the waters from below and above and called the expanse sky. So what I believe is what is referred to as canopy theory which is that when God created the earth, that in the atmosphere, the stratosphere, the atmosphere, up there somewhere, was a canopy of water. And that before the flood, the atmosphere of the earth was not what it is today. That we had the protection of a water canopy over the entire globe. Where did it go? The flood. It came down. And afterwards... Life on earth changed because we no longer had that canopy protecting us from the sun's rays. Much, much different. An article in Time magazine said this. This is printed November 4, 1987. These guys say this. It says, dinosaurs, it seems, may have, had, may have breathed easier than we do. Indeed, at a meeting of geological... Uh, Geological Society, the Geological Society of America in Phoenix last week. Two scientists studied a amber, a piece of amber. I know I'm automatically, I hear that, I just think Jurassic Park. But they're like, this is what we decided to do. They took a piece of amber and they put it in a vacuum chamber. And this piece of amber had a bubble in it. And they popped the bubble and they wanted to see what was inside, what the air was like. And they said this, that Earth's atmosphere contained about 50% more oxygen then than it does now. They're like, there is some scientific and what is, it, 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 there's some proof that the Earth has not always been the same. So I believe that after the flood, dinosaurs could not survive and they died off. They could not. They couldn't handle the post-flood environment. Another thing that came out in the Washington Post, guy says this, this is uh, October 28, 1993, says, dinosaurs were not done in by a great asteroid, as the previous theory holds. I'm like, okay. But by, the, by a change in the atmosphere that provided insufficient oxygen to support their insufficient respiratory systems. And he goes on to say, this is an analysis of trapped air, and he talks about, he says, an 80-foot brontosaurus had a set of nostrils about the same size as a horse. He's like, how in the world could he have gotten enough oxygen? Now, these are just some articles that I find, and you could probably find articles that are going to say something different. But when I look at what Scripture says, but a canopy, a flood, that God made everything, and on the sixth day, He made all the animals? Yeah, I believe He did. I 100% believe He made every single one of them. That's so when we talk about heaven and God not abandoning what He had made in His creation, do I think that there will be dinosaurs in heaven? Yes. Do I want to ride some? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't believe God abandoned what He did. 
He said there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The old things are going to pass away. All things are going to become new. And he's like, all right, it is going to be amazing. It's not a harp on a cloud naked baby. Thank goodness. That doesn't even sound like fun. Not at all. So what do I believe about dinosaurs? I believe God made them on the sixth day that they were here that the flood absolutely happened exactly the way the Bible says, that it rained for 40 days. Where did all the water came, come from? It came from the canopy that was above, that it fell down, it changed the atmosphere. Man did not live as long as they did. Animals that could have survived, many of them could not survive, and so they went extinct. Did God plan that far, and did he know all that in advance? Absolutely. So I hope that helps with dinosaurs. All right. Next question, and there, there were many that came in, again, around this subject, but I think this one just kind of said it clearly, so I'm going to start with this one. It says, is it easier to be blessed your whole life and know God? So many of the strong Christians I know have gone through so much, and the relationship with the Lord seems much stronger than mine. However, I've been nothing but blessed my entire life, raised in the church, but sometimes it feels more mechanical, like I haven't suffered enough. And we get so many questions around suffering, like, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Um, why does God allow suffering? And then I get this question, which is like, I haven't suffered, but I see those that have, and I think, would I be a stronger Christian if I had? What is the bigger blessing? What is the bigger blessing? Well, let me begin to read Proverbs 24.10. If you falter in times of trouble, how little is your strength? And let me just say this. The things that we go, that we run up to in life, they really do show us what's really on the inside. They really do. It's when things go wrong that we see what people are really made of. It's what people do when they think nobody will know that they did or didn't do it that shows us who they really are, not what they do in public. And so what is it and what happens when this happens, when, when people go through things and why is that allowed? Well, first, let's look at Ecclesiastes 7.3. It says this, is, sorrow is better than laughter for sadness has a refining influence on us. Let me just say this. There is something to be said for the result of going through hard times. There is something to be said. A marriage, a newlywed couple, they're six, seven months into it. They're still living the honeymoon. Everything's amazing and nobody's ever done anything wrong yet. It's sweet and it's wonderful. I look back and I'm like, I remember that and I absolutely love it. Now we haven't been married long yet. Now it's 16 years, but we've been through some junk. But you want to know what? Becca stayed with me through it, and we're stronger because of it. Because if we went, if, if we made it through that, we can make it through anything. There's something that comes from, there's a strength that comes from, well, look at what we went through. So many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We went through this infidelity, and we went through this, or we went through, and we couldn't struggle, and we struggled to have kids, and we went through this, and then this happened, or the loss of a child, and something happened here. And, and we get to the other side of it, and although you'd never wish it on anybody, there's a strength that comes from it. Absolutely. Matthew 3, 
excuse me, 5.3. Jesus is talking, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Other translation says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It says that God is near the brokenhearted. Let me just say this. When we're going through something and we struggle with it and we run to God, we experience God in a way that we, will, in an intimate way that you can't under any other circumstances. When my kids are hurt and I go and I run to them and I go to help, they see me in a way that they haven't before when somebody's going to harm them. And dad comes running over and is like, what's going on? They see me in a different light when we run to our heavenly father because we need him because of what's our situation and what's going on. There is absolutely a strength that comes from it. There's something that can be said for it. Do I wish it on anybody? No. No. I don't think, I, I don't pray for hard times in my marriage. I don't. I'm like, oh, you know, the marriage, everything's going really good right now. I should probably have an affair. Just, just kind of stir things up. No way. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But when we come out through things and we come out on the other side and we see God's faithfulness, it changes the way that we approach him. It really does. And I heard a Chinese proverb that I think really helps kind of me when it comes to how I need to frame things and how I need to come and run to God. And it's this. It says, a farmer and his son had a beloved stallion who helped the family earn a living. One day, the horse ran away. And the neighbors came to the man and said, oh, what terrible luck. And he said, Maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. A few days later, the horse came back, but this time it brought with it several wild stallions. And the neighbors came over and said, What great luck! And the farmer said, Maybe yes, maybe not. We'll see. Short time goes by, and his son while breaking one of the wild mares that had come back, falls off and breaks his leg. And the neighbors come over and say, oh, such bad luck. And the farmer says, maybe yes, maybe no, we'll see. Short time later, the National Army comes through the village and says, okay, all able-bodied men, let's go, and brings them all into the army and takes them away. But his son with a broken leg can't go. And the neighbors come by and they say, what great luck. And the farmer looks and says, maybe yes, maybe not, we'll see. And now I want to read Romans 8, 28, and it says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those that love and serve him, who have been called according to his purpose. The things that happen to us, the stuff that we go through, the decisions, some of it, it's decisions that we make and they're bad. I've made a bad decision. Sometimes the, some of the, the situations we find ourselves in, they're of no fault of our own. It's because of neglect. It's because of an evil person that's just done something incredibly wrong and evil 
But we find ourselves in these weird situations, situations that we should not be in. Romans 8, 28, we know that God works all things for the good of those that love and serve him. Here's what I know, that from wherever we are, if we say, God, I surrender to you. I give you the situation that we run to him instead of away from him. And we say, God, I want what you have for me. And we serve him and we go through it the way that he asks us to go through it. We'll get the very best results we possibly can. That we don't have to just say, well, maybe yes, maybe no. But we can know because we run to God. And he says, I can work all things for the good. That test you went through will be a testimony. That mess you make, I'll turn it into a message. He's like, watch and see. That's one of the things I love about small groups is we get around other people who have gone through some things that we haven't gone through, who are on the other side of some things that we haven't crossed over yet. They've made it on the other side of some bridges. They've rebuilt it. They've done it. And we can ask and be like, hey, I'm going through this. I'm struggling financially, and I'm not seeing God's provision, and we started tithing this year, and we're doing this, and I don't see the change, and I'm scared, and they come along, and they say, I've been there. I've done it. Just wait and see. Like, are you sure? And they're like, oh, yeah, let me tell you my story. And they tell you that story. I don't wish evil on anyone. But know this, wherever you find yourself, if you submit to God in the situation, you're going to get the best results you possibly can out of it. It's not a maybe, we'll see. It's a God, I'll serve you right now. And we can know that God's going to use it. We can know. Does that mean I get the get-out-of-jail-free card? Probably not. But we say, okay, God, I find myself here. What am I going to do? I'm going to serve you in this moment. I'm going to serve you from where I am and not wish I was somewhere else. That we give God our all wherever we are. Why does God allow bad to happen? Couldn't he just come down and put an end to all of it? Absolutely, he could. But Jesus told a parable, and he said it like this. He said, a farmer went out and sowed some seed. He sowed good seed. But yet while he was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds amongst it. And his workers came to him later and they said, look, didn't you sow good seeds in this field? Look what's come up here. Do you want us to pull out the bad now? And the farmer said, no, because if you pull out the bad now, you'll end up taking some of the good with it. Let them grow together side by side. And then when harvest comes, we'll separate them. We'll separate the wheat from the weeds and we'll burn the weeds and we'll bring in the wheat. God says this, there's some bad seeds that he did not sow growing in his field, growing on his world. He says, what I sowed was good, but somebody came along and sowed something else. But if I come in now and rip out all the bad, along with it, along with it, we'd lose some of the good. So here's what I'm going to do. You're going to endure some stuff now. The bad's going to grow along with it. But what will happen is one day when I come back, when harvest time comes, I'll come and I will separate the good from the bad. I'll separate it. And that bad, that fire he's talking about, that's hell. There will be a punishment. He says, but the good, 
I'm going to come for it. His heart is this, if I took it all away now, I would lose some of the good. And he's not willing to lose the good. The thing that gets me every time is this, how great heaven must be that God says, I see your pain now, I know what you're going through. Because think of the horrible things that are happening all over the world right now. And God's like, look, one day I will come and I'll judge all of those that have not turned away from their sin. Endure, because heaven is going to be so good. Paul says it this way, our light in momentary troubles is the way he talks about what we go through now. Not to make light of what some of us have gone through, what you may be in or going through, but instead to magnify how great heaven must truly be. That God's like, look, you're going to endure this now, but I'm coming for you. Yes, there's evil happening. I'm not going to come and stop it because if I did, I'd lose some of my children. Some would be lost. And he's like, I'm not willing to lose one. And yet, if he's a loving father, here's what I know. How great heaven must be. The Bible says, no mind, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive the good things that God has in store for us. So what, I don't know what you're going through, but just, let, me just, let me just say this. Run to God. His word says it so clearly. God works all things for the good of those that love and serve him. Not that he intends evil to be in your life, but if you give it to him, he'll use it. And you can come out on the other side of it with a stronger relationship with God, a deeper love for him because you've seen him in a way. You've seen him come to your rescue. You've seen his faithfulness. You've experienced his peace that passes all understanding because everything that's going on around you should be rocking your world, but you're finding your strength, your hope, and your trust in him. You can have that. That peace that it's not about what's going on around you. It's not the storm going on around the boat, but you have peace because you know who's in the boat with you. He wants that for every single one of us. He's a loving God. So he made a way for every single one of us to have a relationship with him. Because I know what I deserve, but I'm so glad God doesn't give me what I deserve. He says, I will make a way. And he made a way where there was no way so that we could be forgiven and set free. But that's a relationship with Jesus. We will never experience the fullness of what God has for us until we get to heaven. You're absolutely right. There's suffering, there's pain, there's tears. We make mistakes, others make mistakes. There's injustice and there is wrong. But God says, one day I will come. And why is he waiting? Why is he waiting? What's taking him so long? He says, I want all to come to the knowledge. He's waiting for those that are still going to who are still going to make that decision. Is he waiting for you? Is he waiting for you to make that decision? Say, God, I want yours. I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. Are you one of those? He says, I will, I'll wait. I'll put a pause on everything. I can't come back until.
Is he waiting for you? Don't wait any longer. Make today your day to be forgiven, to be set free, and begin to walk in the peace, the hope, and the love that God has for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here today, I want to give you that opportunity. Right in your seat, if you're watching, listening to this, wherever you are. If you say, today is my day. I'm going to give God my heart, my life, my soul. I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. And I'm going to serve him. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, then you will be saved. It's not about what you did. Jesus already did it all. Just receive what he's done and begin to serve him with your life. If that's you, I'd love the honor of praying with you right there in your seat. So at the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand high, not halfway, all the way, bold. Say, this is me and today is my day. If that's you, then here we go. And when you raise your hand, you're saying to God, God, I want to be forgiven and set free. I want to be yours. One, get ready. Two, three, shoot it all the way up right now. Say, that's me. And today is my day. Thank you. Say, today is my day. Awesome. All right, put the hands down. Here's what I want us to do. I want everybody to repeat after me online, all of you. Just say this out loud and let's say it with those that lifted their hands. Everybody say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me for shedding your blood so I could be free. Forgive me and make me new. From now on, I'm yours. Come rule and reign in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.